Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm going to kick us off. It's one o'clock. So welcome to the PM webinar. Um, I'm hosting today as Louise has a diary, another diary commitment, so sends her apologies. So uh, please bear with me. It's the first time I've hosted a webinar. So I hope I've got to, uh, Louise's team have given me very good instructions, but so hopefully everybody can see here, whatever. Um, just to say, um, I think uh, our last webinar was before the practice manager conference, which we obviously had a couple of weeks ago. And I think we all really enjoyed seeing people face to face. So I hope those of you that were able to attend enjoyed it was it was a fantastic opportunity for us to see um, some faces again and I think we as a team really enjoyed that interaction so I hope you enjoyed it too so thank you for coming along um, we did take some feedback and I did notice that in one of the feedback uh, points that we had was that some people have said that they found it quite difficult um, to dial into our webinars because they have other commitments on a Wednesday. So it sounds like not everybody realises that they're recorded. You that are on obviously realise because you're on and uh, we, we mention it every week. But if you do have um, practice manager meetings and you think to mention it, um, I think it would be really grateful so that everybody who wants to listen in knows that they can do. So that would be brilliant. Thank you. Um, so I'm joined today by um, some of the members of the team. So Michelle Lombardi, Dawn Childcraft and Dr. Ed Rendell. So welcome. And I think um, as usual, we'd welcome some, and I see some comments coming in already. If you do have any questions, it's it's great if you could please put them in the Q&A um, for us, and then we can try and sort of just um, pick them off and answer them as, as promptly as possible. Um, and I see that we have two questions coming from Jenny. So I think we'll try and come to them. We, we might, I don't know, actually, if we have an answer for the first one around uh that uh, LMCs are getting um, behind some lobbying that's going on around the DVLA to pay by backs rather than checks. Is this something that has crossed our radar? Um, I have to admit, I'm, I'm not aware of that. Just looking to other members of the team, if it's anybody else heard anything. Um, Jenny, looks like we don't, but we will have a look into it for you. Um, and if we can, we'll update towards the end of the webinar. If not, we'll pick it up next time. Um, and then you had another point about fit tests, um, UHS, it looks like there's an issue where they've said that they've got no stock and they don't know when it will be restocked. Um, so you're having difficulty meeting the IAF requirement. Um, is there some coding you can put alongside to exclude this on lower GI referrals? Again, I think we had some awareness that this is becoming an issue. So I, th I think probably it's something that we do need to pick up as a team and probably discuss. I don't think we probably have the answer right now. Um, but I think perhaps we could either pick it up. Um, we'll come back to you, Jenny, specifically. But also, um, if we can, we'll put something in our newsletter this week that reflects that because I imagine that's going to affect a lot of people. Um, so we will come back to those two. I'm going to pause now on the Q&As because I see there are lots coming in. Um, so I'm just going to hang fire on those and I'm going to um, come back to them. But we're just going to kick off on our main topics. We'll come back to the Q&As and I'm going to um, move to Dawn first. because Dawn, I think you're going to update us on GPAS. Yes, thank you, Lisa. That That's my pleasure today. So... I'd like to say again, a big thank you. Everybody has really um, you know, exceeded our hope and expectation and um, the replies to the weekly survey are going really, really well. And we have been able to do sit reps every week since the get-go um, and um, compared to some of our colleagues, that's definitely uh, a win for us really. Uh, having said that, 
please, please um, keep them coming each week. Um, I, I, I appreciate hugely it is a task, um, but we uh, know now that many, many practice managers have delegated the task. Um, we have lots of other GPAS contacts in our database that are receiving the survey and doing it uh, weekly for them. And one of the questions we've had actually a couple of times this week is, um, do we have to wait until we get that email on a Tuesday morning to click on the link and do the survey? And the answer is no, you don't have to wait for our email. Um, if you've got that link, it is the same one every week that we send you. So it is there and open for you. However early you get up on a Tuesday morning, uh, five o'clock, six o'clock, whenever that is. Anyway, it's there and it's open. So please, if you don't want to wait for our email Tuesday, then don't. You can um, uh, do the survey as soon as um, you have the results um, for your practice and you want to upload them. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, I think that's probably all for GPAS at the moment. Other than the other thing I did really want to say to you guys is, and, and we did kind of say from the get-go, you might not see anything happen instantly in as much as, you know, there's going to be massive system changes. It is a marathon and not the sprint. However, we have had some really positive contact from stakeholders um, that are replying to the sit rep saying, thank you very much, and this is all useful and helpful. So they're pleased to receive it. But also this week, um, I've had a contact from, um, just as an example, the operations manager from uh, University Hospital Dorset, and he's asked for a meeting this week, which we're going to have, um, because he wants to understand the sit reps a bit more and, and how you guys are working. Um, and I, I think that's really positive that they are asking and taking the time. So please do keep those surveys coming so that we uh, reach that uh, quality marker each week so we can continue to do those sit reps. And it also, like we've said before, gives the directors um, uh, uh, some tools and resources, if you like, to actually uh, speak at any meetings they're at um, to, to have some uh, meaningful conversations. So that's, I think, everything for GPAS this week, Lisa. Great. Shall I move on to the next uh, topic? Ooh. Oh, no, Ed is there. Was, yes. Well, it's just, it was just our last comment because, yeah, it really does help um, being in meetings where you, you actually get to talk about primary care because you've got some things you can talk about. And I think that the interesting thing we're seeing with GPAS now is that trend data. So we're sort of, we're now getting some weeks to, to look back and see trends, which is a different thing we can talk about. So it, it is that sort of... Um, slow and patient thing but we're looking for this to be a long-term thing so that's i think what we're looking for is someone ideally delegated in your practice who has a prompt to do it at a set time and it's uh, an ongoing thing and then the results come direct to us and we can then try and um uh speak to them on, on your behalf the only other phenomenon i was just going to highlight is that i think we're seeing the uh, there's a couple of areas with a sort of lower return rate and then we're seeing that they're, they're they sound like everything's fine there and we, it's hard because it's anonymous, but we're wondering if the practices in those areas that aren't responding are actually struggling more. So the two specifics are Swindon and Southampton. So uh, where there's a lower return rate, those two are both saying that they're green, Opal 1, uh, and things are sort of fine in those areas. So I guess if you are in those particular areas, perhaps a discussion at your PCN or with um other practice managers and if that is the case great um, but if it's not the case and it's due to people not being in a position to do it perhaps um, sort of supporting practices to to do the return and we'll get the, the sort of more realistic data that we can um, we can then act on because we wouldn't want the impression that 
Um, if it is a true impression, that's fine. If we get 100%, we're sort of right, okay, that is Opal 1 and everyone's happy there. But if we're only getting low return rates in particular areas, then others may be looking at it saying, look, primary care is fine in that area and we can we can do whatever we want to do. So it's just sort of in, uh, encourage those conversations around um, with others, sort of supporting others if you found it really helpful or asking if you uh, found it a challenge. Thanks. Thanks, Ed. Yes, thank you. Yes, just uh, an, uh, next topic uh, to mention today, please, is, um, well, we call it, or I say we, NHS England have called it, accelerated access to patient records. Um, and and uh, I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because whilst they called it accelerated access, that kind of started last year. Um, and it's been pushed back and pushed back. Um, and the last pushback, we were told it was going to be in the summer this year that they were going to start switching on all the records in the um, online NHS style apps um, for patients to have access um, to their records automatically, if you like. Uh, that's now been pushed back again. And it's November this year now, November 2022, when um, NHS Digital will effectively, um, within TPP and EMIS, Vision's a little bit behind the curve, I believe, but within uh, TPP and EMIS, they're going to switch on the online access automatically. Um, so that is going to happen at some point, And I know they keep pushing it back. But anyway, November 2022, um, Please, we would, um, I know we've said this before, but we would please like to remind everybody um, to check that your staff, all staff, clinicians, administrators, everybody is aware of what this actually entails, what patients will be able to see, uh, or if there's anything you don't need or rather want patients to see, you need to redact um, from online view. Uh, and does everybody within your practice know how to do that? Um, so, yeah, it's November 2022 now. So our, our reminder is to please be prepared for that. Um, we have got resources on our website. Um, if you want to go and have a look, just put in uh, medical records or online access. Um, and there's a number of resources that will come up for you there. Thanks, Dawn. And one thing I just wanted to check with you, I think we were quite mindful too that this would equally apply to ARRS staff. And it's always worth mentioning to PCN colleagues in terms of we're not sure how high their awareness is of the programme. So it's good to get the message out there, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. If, uh, if there's anybody in whatever role they are actually um, documenting anything, in a patient medical record, they all need to know about online access, how to re, uh, redact from view if it's sensitive or third party. Um, yeah, to make sure that when they're all switched on, um, you know, it, it's as good as it can be. Thanks, Dawn. And um, are you going to move us on now to fit notes, I think? Absolutely. Yes. Fit notes. So um, fit notes certification. So traditionally, as we know, um, it's always been uh, just doctors legally that could sign a fit note. Um, however, from the 1st of July, legislation is changing and this will allow uh, more healthcare professionals to actually certify um, a fit note. Um, <clears throat> there's four. There's only four further professions at the moment anyway that will be uh, able to do this. Nurses, occupational therapists, physiotherapists and pharmacists. Um, 
<clears throat> but before they can do any of that, uh, there is going to be some guidance and training. Um, published um, because they will need to uh, check that they are competent to carry out that uh, signing of a fit note. Um, whilst the legislation is changing on the 1st of July, slightly unhelpfully, the DWP aren't actually going to release the resources um, and the training that's going to be available. Um, and they're not going to do that until July. Um, so it's not something that's to kind of instantly happen, if you like, um, it, there will be a little bit of um, uh, lag, I guess, while the training and competency, competency checks takes place. Um, so, yeah, the products will be available from the 1st of July and then rollout will gradually happen after that. But there's no particular timescale for the rollout other than everything's going to be available from the 1st of July. Watch this space, as they say. Okay. Thanks, Dawn. Um, and then I'm going to briefly cover the, or a, a short reminder around the National Data Opt-out Implementation Programme. Um, so you may remember that um, we had um, Adam Tuckett on um, a couple of weeks ago and he did touch on this. So we have recorded his podcast and you can download that from the website if you'd just like to revisit it or, or have a chance to listen to it. Um, so just a brief recap, really. So um, the national data opt-out, as I'm sure you're all aware, allows patients to choose if they don't want their confidential patient information to be used for purposes beyond their individual care and treatment. So that's really for research and planning purposes. Um, so patients or people acting on their behalf by proxy um, have control over setting or changing their own, their own opt-out choice um, and they can change their mind at any time. So in most cases, health and, and social care staff won't be involved, but it's it's quite good to understand the process and be familiar with it in case you get questions. Um, in terms of patient ages, if a patient is aged over 13 or over, they can set their own opt-out choice using the online service, the phone service, the NHS app, or, the, or by print and post um, and completing a, a form by hand and sending it in. Um, so when a patient has set a national data opt-out, organisations covered by the opt-out must show that the patient's opt-out is respected. So that would include general practice. Um, the implementation, which is mandatory of the national data opt-out, is Sunday the 31st of July. And the government has said it doesn't intend to extend that implementation deadline any further. So we think that's reasonably much set in stone. Um, so um, you as an organisation just need to make sure that you're compliant. Um, and there is some guidance out there. There's a compliance implementation guide that takes you through um, that in a little bit more detail. Um, however, um, for those of you that have completed your DSP toolkit and um, confirmed your compliance, you've probably done all that you need to do. Um, if you're any, in any doubt about anything, we would suggest that you speak to your DPO just to double check with them. I know that they've been working alongside practices quite closely to support you in, in doing that. Um, and then we also have an IG booklet on our website, which includes details of that on pages 11 to 12 with the NHSD resource link. Um, so that should be quite easy to find, but we can pop the, the details of that within the chat. Okay, so that's just a little update on uh, the data opt-out. And Michelle, I think that you're now going to update us on the latest NHSPS situation. Uh, yes, I am. Um, so, uh, as Lisa said, uh, NHS uh, PS for NHS Property Services, you may be aware that there was a legal case that the BMA have been supporting five practices with. I just wanted to highlight this may not, this doesn't affect every practice, 
um, that, that's on the webinar and all of our practices. However, very mindful that it is a significant for the concern for the practices that this does affect. And we just wanted to um, reassure practice, NHSPS practices that we are aware of the judgment. Um, I just wanted to highlight, I, I was on leave last week when this came in, so I'm still digesting the 170 pages of the, the judgment that's been passed. Um, we are looking to support practices and we are just detailing what that offer will be. So just a bit of background uh, to the to the to the legal case that the BMA have been working on. So this was basically working with five GP practices who were in um, had all had five different circumstances that they were working on, and this was to look at the uh, inflated service charges that have been um, put in place by uh, NHSPS over the uh, previous over the last few years. It's probably worth highlighting that the case has been broken down into two phases. The phase one, which is the judgment that we've had uh, last week, looks at the looks at principles of which services NHSPS can charge practices for. And phase two, which we believe will be in about will report in about eighteen months, will be to look at what the exact amount of any charges will be. Um, and as, as I've said, we've now had the judgment. It's 170 pages long, and we're just working through the detail of that. And uh, we believe this is not a class action. So therefore, this will mean that the NHSPS practices will need to have a local negotiation, a local agreement as to how they proceed with their service charges. So as I've said, we are very mindful that this will cause some level of concern for practices that are in NHSPS buildings. And we're just looking at the offer of support that we're um, going to take forward with practices and to reassure you that we'll, we'll be contacting those practices shortly with uh, with details of that. Thanks Michelle, that's really helpful and um, then I think you're going to move us on to DBS ID checks. I am. So uh, it was really just to highlight that the DBS ID information has been updated and what is required of practices. And this is really taking into account the EEA changes, so the European changes that have occurred over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. We now have two pages on our website. The first web page um, is now uh, titled UK Nationals. And there is another web page that looks at um, nationals that are not within the UK. So uh, it was really to highlight that when you're completing DBS checks, please, can you make sure that you review the ID requirements because there have been changes with this, but it's all detailed on our website and we will make sure that the link for that is within our, is with our webinar. Great. Thanks, Michelle. Um, and then I was just finally, I think the final item we have today, we just wanted to update you on um, the, the latest situation around Ukrainian um, families coming over to the UK. So we've had quite a number of practices um, contact us about this. So it looks like we are seeing increasing numbers of, of families registering with practices. Um, a couple of things we have, and I think Dawn, you've developed a refugee webpage. So we've got some really useful information on there and links to resources around patient information and translated versions as well. And um, there is now a bilingual version of the GMS1 form as well, which I believe you've put on the page. So hopefully some helpful resources there um, to access if you'd like to. Um, we're also aware that um, a, a letter came out nationally that went to CCGs um, about 10 days ago. And that is calling for commissioners to fund um, services for to fund primary care for undertaking initial health assessments of um, Ukrainians coming to live 
within the UK. Um, so we are liaising with all the CCGs to double check that they are doing that and to liaise with them about their plans and hopefully try and get that rolled out as soon as possible. As um, We appreciate that some of the families are coming with quite um, significant support needs. Um, so I don't know if anybody else, Ed, don't know if you want to sort of add anything on that one. Um, I know that's something that you've been particularly looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, th I think um, I've, I've just had a couple of examples really where um, I think we had an email in and a you know a six-year-old child with um, real psychological issues following seeing trauma. So you know, there's been clearly a clear need for it, and we've been sort of trying to push um, some of the commissioners to to look at that. But we've been told this national funding was coming. Specifics of it is um, it looks like it's up to 150 pounds uh, per patient. Um, we did query with, I'm, I cover a little bit more the BSW patch and sort of there's a query in about would it be retrospective or not? And uh, I understand uh, in the wording there is um, something around it being retrospective and, and that's certainly the approach they're looking to take in um, BSW um, as an area. And then it, it does give sort of flexibility um, so locally. So it can either be a local service delivered through primary care with the payment direct to practices or there is the option for commissioners to commission a another organization to do these initial checks and they would get the funding but they'd also do the work load for it so yeah it's it's been frustrating sort of um essentially waiting for this when there's there's a clear need but hopefully things are moving a little bit more and um yeah hopefully with a, a bit of time we'll do that there's a little bit of uh it didn't come with a pot of funding that was clear so it wasn't it's not got national funding with it so they you know right at the end of the ccg days there's a discussion about finding this pot of money from existing budget so that may just hold things up a little bit but we're trying to support and sort of cajole the ccgs to um get things out as uh, soon as we can but i think that was a key point around the it does look like it's retrospective in terms of uh funding if that's the if that's the case okay thanks ed um, so I think that probably covers the topics that we were going to talk about today. Um, just going back to the Q&A, there's a question in there, and I think, Dawn, you might have the answer um, or be able to signpost us. So there's a question around, do we have a new risk assessment that we can share regarding the new IP and C guidance for practices? I presume that's around COVID specifically. Yes, it is. Yeah, um, I've got it ready to send and I'm just about to push the button, but I was waiting for us to, to get to it. Um, the BMA actually have produced a, a risk assessment for this um, recently published, I think last week. So um, it, it's kind of all there for you, hopefully. Um, and I'm going to press send now. So you'll be able to see that link. Um, having said that, other people possibly might not get to see that. So um, I think I've already sent that to Helen to put on our web pages as well. But we can put it next to the podcast as well, can't we? So people have got it if they need it. Brilliant. Thank you, Dawn. Um, a couple of other comments. Um, comment around Ukrainian families, um, that there, there does seem to be an issue where some families don't wish to have child vaccinations. And obviously that can have a significant impact on COF achievement. Um, so I guess that's something perhaps we need to talk about with the um, commissioners around how can we support those, those practices and families to access um, immunisations. So um, I think, yeah, a very good comment. Um, and then so just on a different um topic some we have a question around um if anybody's had their facet survey from ccg yet how did they find this and michelle's just reminded me i think we might have a couple of final items to add dawn was that you 
It, it, yes, they're just a, a couple of, um, li- yes, little AOBs, yeah. Um, nothing earth-shattering, but there might be some interest in some practices. So NHS Digital um, are, are doing a project at the moment because they're looking at providing um, NHS services to patients to allow them to update personal details, specifically for this project, their own address. Um, and the NHS Digital uh, would like to um, ask anybody out there uh, in primary care or general practice, um, would you be willing to speak to them, you know, for about 30 minutes? Um, because they want to find out more about the current process of updating a patient's address and the process of accepting and declining the address if the patient is outside of catchment. And as, as we know, that's quite key. If a patient goes on and changes their address and they're outside of your area, if that address effectively is accepted, they are then accepted onto your list as permanent and you're, you're then with patients registered out of your boundary, which I'm sure you all have a process for uh, dealing with at the moment. So if anybody's interested in that, um, there's an email address. We can provide that. Um, we could probably put that again alongside the podcast recording um yeah they're just asking for um anybody interested to get in touch um and might be quite worthwhile because that's quite important i'd suggest um alternative uh, alternatively sorry and additionally uh there was just um something for interest uh non-emergency patient transport there's been a review going on about that since last year um, and it has now been published and there's um, a part of the review uh, is an eligible, a final eligibility criteria for those who are able to use non-urgent patient transport. Um, not something probably primary care gets too involved with, but I'm sure there are occasions when some of your patients do ask if they can access some patient transport perhaps to get to um, appointments at the hospital um, it might be something you might want to take a look at or perhaps even have on your website um, so that you can uh, signpost patients to if they s- kind of question whether they should or shouldn't be able to access um, the non-emergency pre- patient transport again we can put that alongside our podcast as a link if you want to have a look at it or use it on your website Great. And that's okay. all from me. Thank you. Thank you, Dawn. Um, I think that probably concludes all the, the items we were going to cover today. Um, having a quick look in the Q&A, I don't think that they were, there was anything that we've missed. So unless anybody has any sort of burning questions, um, we've got a couple of actions to go back on. I think the fit tests and DVLA, we will look into both of those items and come back to you. Um, other than that, if nobody else has got any questions, um, thank you so much for dialing in. Hope that gives you a bit of extra time back and you have a, a few moments to have some lunch and perhaps even step outside. Um, so thank you very much, everybody. See you next time. Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.